And I realized, oh, I got hurt because I was, my ego was running the show. And I put the ego in the back seat. And all of a sudden I go, I need to relax more. It took years of finding that balance and, and recognizing in my own personality that I work best in sprints. Because when I was younger, it was like, oh, I just go, go, go. Everyone else is grinding. I got to grind. No days off, all this. And so you got to learn what kind of person you are. Certain people, they're just going to do a little bit every day. And other people, they need to work and then take complete time off. Like I, I've been in these situations where I show up to work on a project and I'm just like, what's going on, guys? Man, we've been working so hard. Like you just came from Colombia or Costa Rica or something. I'm like, I'm like, yeah, that's how you get shit done. You got to take care of yourself. Then I can turn on the afterburners if I want. And it's not a big deal. And then of course, there's always a limitation to that. I can go hard for about three weeks. And after that, if I don't shut it down, I'll burn up. Welcome to the Path Podcast. I'm Mike Salemi. I believe that uncharted trails make the best life stories. So take a deep breath, put one foot in front of the other, and trust the ground under your feet. Join me in discussions on health, performance, business, leadership, and spiritual self-mastery because these topics are windows into how well each of us have learned to trust our own path. Let's go. This is a Soul Fire production. Today on the show, we've got Mike Bloodsoe. Now, Mike is someone who I've known for approximately four-ish years, and we've known each other both in the professional setting as well as we've just become homies and close friends over the years. And we really started getting to know each other more closely and deeper when I had joined his Strong Coach Mastermind Group. Now, the Strong Coach was an organization that Mike ran for years around supporting coaches in the fitness industry elevate their business rewriting stories and really helping them elevate their offerings. And so I was in his year-long mastermind program. And during that time, as we got to know each other closer, we started realizing that we have a mutual love for self-development and personal growth. And in today's podcast, you're really going to hear both on the business side, as well as even more so on the passion side of what Mike has been up to the last few years and really what he's diving into right now, because he's in a, a, a state of transition right now. And so the beginning of the podcast, really discusses how to have a business that is in alignment with your values, the mindset needed to have a business ready to thrive in the long run, how to engage in high leverage activities and thought processes, uh, productivity secrets. And then we make a pivot about halfway-ish through and we really discuss this new venture that Mike is starting to unravel and unfold. And that is really his passion towards helping people or giving people the resource to get more out of their psychedelic mushroom experiences. And so he is on this new venture with his fiance, Ashley, and they are really co-creating something very unique, very special in the industry that is really filling in the gaps that are going to be supporting people both in preparation for their psychedelic experiences to giving them advice and, and guidance during, and then as well as uh, probably equally, if not more importantly, what to do after to get the most out of your experience in terms of integrating the experience into your daily life. And so I'm very excited for this podcast to drop right now with you to listen in with myself and Mr. Mike Bloodsoe. Well, this is two for two. I get to see you two days in a row, which is rare. Yeah, yeah. that is rare. <laughs> <laughs> I miss the days when you were uh, when you were in the bay and you would stay at the house and like we get to drop in. Yeah, those were always good times. The man. Salemi Spa. <laughs> That's what we nicknamed your house. There's been some upgrades, and as you can imagine. Now we have furniture, thanks to Lauren. Yeah, uh, I'm disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, me and you are very minimal. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, man. We uh, there's a little bit more decorations in the house. We've got actual ornaments on the tree. We got a couch, a rug now, uh, more art. So <laughs> it's a little bit more feels more lived in. When people come over in the past, I think you were saying this too. Like when people would come over to your place, they'd be like, "Oh, so uh, when'd you move in?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. When I was living in SoCal, I was like, I had like a couch in the corner for the people who cared about that. Just one. And then a stand-up desk. That was it. Beautiful view. Sat on the floor a lot. Yeah, come, people come in. How long you live here? Or uh, when did you move in? I was like, ah, two years ago. <laughs> They're like, you'd say, you know, just kind of like get awkward. <laughs> it's like, no, I'm super happy. Like, yeah, that, that's what you said, standing desk. And sounds perfect. Sounds yeah. already full. It's yeah. already full. Well, in that, in that light, you know, one of the things that I was reflecting on before you came over is there's certain people in life, certain people that inspire me in movement, certain people that inspire me in business, certain people that inspire me in the integration of both or in other things. And one of the things about you, when we first started working together years ago, that really stuck out to me. I'd been, I was sharing with you before that I think it was when I was 18. I was uh, one of uh, the first Fit Body Bootcamp owners. Uh, me and a buddy had one of Bedros Koulian's uh, Fit Body Bootcamps, and it was great. I did it for like two years. And after that time, I was attending his conference and a few others. And one of the things that I realized when I would go to these business conferences, I'd learn a shit ton, which was great. But then when I would hang out with people and go to lunch or go to dinner or just hang out, there was just like this massive disconnect. And it wasn't until later on that I was able to identify what was it about those interactions and the places we were going and what we were doing that just felt off. And oftentimes they were talking about their systems and how much money they're making. I was like, okay, that's cool. Like I get that. And a lot of them were just drinking a ton, partying, eating like shit. And I was just like, especially when I was that young in those young years, I was like so pure in that perspective. And I was just like, no, it can't be like this. It can't be like this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you see that as well? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I remember going to, when I was first running my gym and I remember going to a, uh, an event, I'm not remembering the guy's name now, old school dude. And, you know, we go to a hotel conference center and, they, you know, oh, you know, we're going to serve lunch and it's just shitty sandwiches that are mostly just terrible tasting bread. I'm like, what is happening? And I think you and I are liking that. I was into actual strength and conditioning. Mm. And I'm in a room full of people who are trying to make money running a boot camp or, or whatever it is. Like, it's just, yeah, it, it, it's a weird, it's a weird situation. And it's, it's funny because there was a period of time where I was like, I felt better than those people but they were making more money than me and it just didn't seem fair. <laughs> like these fuckers don't even know what they're doing and they're making more money. And it took me a while to really see that I could do business differently than the way that it was being taught and I could still be successful. And when those are your examples, it can make wanting to do business difficult at times. It's like, well, do I, am I going to have to be like that? if I'm going to be good at business, like if that's the case, I don't, I don't, I don't care too much about that. Mm. But it took years to like, to in a lot of pain and suffering, oh, <laughs> turn dude. that around. Yeah. And, and in that process, so like the few things that are coming up there, you know, one of the, when we were having our conversation before I joined the strong coach mastermind a few years ago, one of the things that I had shared with you is like, one of the things that I admired about you and still do is, 
you've been able to maintain and not not to say that you don't grind when you need to grind and there's moments when you're putting out projects and there's you're going to be doing crazy hours but in general you live a life where health and and taking care of yourself is is paramount yeah i talk to people a lot of times like if I, you put me in a room with a bunch of 25 hungry 25 year olds for a week and we're going to work on a project i'll run them into the ground mm. and it's not because i've got more energy than 25 year old it's because well, technically I do. They've got more capacity in some ways or more possibility. Um, but they usually been grinding when they showed up. Mm. I was on vacation. <laughs> I, I, just, <laughs> I was taking care of myself. I like show up. Like I, I've been in these situations where I show up to work on a project and I'm just like, what's going on, guys? Man, we've been working so hard. It's like you just came from Colombia or Costa Rica or something. Like, I'm like, yeah, like that's how you get shit done. You got to take care of yourself. And then, then I can turn on the afterburners if I want. And it's not a big deal. And then, of course, there's always a limitation to that. I can go hard for about three weeks. And after that, if I don't shut it down, I'll burn up. Mm. Yeah. So if you were to think back to when you first started, did you go through that yourself? Were you just like those guys? Or have you always been pretty mindful in this capacity? Uh, no, nah, I mean, I, 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 I grinded myself into the ground. Training. I remember it was uh, 20, what was it 2014, 2013, 2014, around that time. I was competing in weightlifting. I was like national caliber. I was going to nationals. I was coaching, was it? I had hundreds of athletes oh, shit. underneath me at the time uh, that were training for CrossFit and weightlifting. I uh, had the YouTube channel and podcast, Barbell Shrugged. I had a gym running. I had ownership in another gym. And because of the show, I was traveling 20 days of the month. And Mike in his early 30s associated travel with vacation. So, of course, when we were traveling, we'd go out to eat. And then we started making ridiculous amounts of money. And it was like, yeah, let's just fucking eat out all the time and have fine dining experiences. And... I started getting a little chubby. I was like, oh shit. <laughs> so I'm, I'm training like, I'm training eight to 12 training sessions a, a week and I'm traveling 20 days in the month. I'm eating at restaurants and I get to the point where like, two, there's a, I could train like twice a week and my joints were all on fire. Mm. I was just fucked. And um, luckily for me, there was a doc that was working in my gym, uh, Sub Draper. Uh, he was like, dude, what's wrong with you? I was like, dude, I can't fucking move without being in pain. He goes, let's do some blood work. Did some blood work. Everything was tanked. Everything was tanked. So, you know, he put me on some, some therapies and all that and got me sorted out and basically got me to where I could keep living the lifestyle I was living. So basically <laughs> put me on some hormone therapy so I could like just keep living without making any lifestyle changes. Doing the same thing, but just same get, thing. wow. But now I've got like a little bit of help. And six months after that, I end up with hernias. And I'm like, oh, my body was screaming at me to, to stop. And that was a huge learning lesson of learning how to take breaks. Up until that point, it was just a constant grind. Like taking vacations. Like I had never traveled for, for leisure. A dedicated vacation, like an actual vacation. Yeah, yeah. Like I traveled a lot. People would see my lifestyle on Instagram or YouTube and just go, man, Mike's just living. And it was, it was amazing. It was like, 
I mean, how blessed am I to be able to like fly to Sweden to do a show about Aleko, right? Or to go visit Louis Simmons at Westside Barbell. Mm. Like those are fucking dreams that people have and do take vacations to, to do those things. But for me, it was always work. And so, yeah, just, I would say that was, that was about, was it? It's almost 10 years ago. So nine, 10 years ago, I had that experience. I ended up retiring from the sport of weightlifting because I realized that my breathing was jacked up and I had, uh, luckily enough, I had Jill Miller uh, to help me out. She is the founder of Yoga Tune-Up. She wrote the, in the yoga journal. She was in charge of like anatomy and physiology for decades. Wow. Super knowledgeable woman was able to help me out, retrain my breathing. Um, and by the time I would retrain my breathing, I thought I was going to get back in the sport and I didn't because I, it took so long that I had time to reflect and I realized, oh, I got hurt because I was like, my ego was running the show and I put the ego in the back seat and all of a sudden I go, well, I don't want to compete anymore. Mm. Oh, I, I need to relax more. Oh, I can. And it took years of finding that balance and, and recognizing in my own personality that I work best in sprints. I'm an interval guy. So if I don't take breaks, because when I was younger, it was like, oh, I just go, go, go. Everyone else is grinding. I got to grind. No days off, all this. And so you got to learn what kind of person you are. So certain people, they're just going to do a little bit every day. And other people are just going to like, they need to work and then take complete time off. Um, I think people who are a little more on the creative side probably are more like the, the sprinters doing the intervals. So yeah, I just learned the style that worked for me and I did that for a really long time. And I'm actually slowly moving towards, my goal is to work three hours a day. Cool. Right. And so uh, I, I work more than that right now, but that's the, that's the lens in which I'm making decisions about business through these days is how can I work three hours a day? Because I want to spend the rest of my day. I want to have a family. Mm. I want to be able to take care of myself. If you work three hours a day, you can take care of yourself and spend time with your family. And I know it's possible because I know people personally who make tens of millions of dollars a year working three hours a day. Now, after about six months of running the Path Podcast, I can say from all my heart that I am loving having these conversations with passionate, wise, and heart-centered people. Now, since day one, my objective has always been to learn alongside you and really just provide a platform where we can have helpful and interesting discussions. Now, I do have a request because there's something that I could really use your help with. And that is in order to make not only this show better to inform the discussions that we have, the guests that we bring on, but also helpful YouTube content and maybe even some of the programs that I design in the future, I would love your feedback and your input. And so in the show notes, I am including a survey. It shouldn't take you more than a few minutes, but what you provide will directly impact what I create. And once again, the evolution of this show. So if you can please check out the show notes, a link will be there. Shouldn't take you more than a few minutes and your help is super appreciated. Thank you so much. So with that, the three hours a day is the goal. And then you had said you can typically sprint for, you know, let's say three weeks at a time on the yeah. high end. Yeah. Are there any other things that come up for you as like, 
not benchmarks, but uh, maybe like markers for you to let you know when it's time to take your foot off the gas, what other either objectively or subjectively comes up? I'll just feel it. You know, it'll be hard to get out of bed Mm. in the morning. Mm. It's, um, uh, my shits won't be running right. That's a big teller. Yeah. (laughs) Shits aren't running right. Uh, disinterested in sex. Mm. Uh, yeah. I start getting out. I, I, I start becoming what feels like mechanical. Um, yeah. Yeah. Those are, Sure, there's other things, but I can just tell, like, I'm like, oh, I'm starting to run low. Yeah. And I think that I totally resonate with all that. And even piggyback on that, like one thing, you know, for me, it's been a continual learning lesson to rewrite the story that if I am busy, I am successful. Or if I am busy, I uh, feel like I'm worth something more and rewriting that. And, and I love that, that three hour thing, because you're exactly right. If you only had three hours to work in a day, and that was the lens. Every decision and how you approach it, you'd make it count. I would make it count. And, and anyone listening, you know, one of the things I would invite you to consider is take note or take stock and inventory on those specific mornings, whether it's when you wake up early or what, and you're just on fire. Because what I've realized, I mean, three hours sounds amazing. Four hours for me, like I can keep when I'm in that flow and when I'm hitting, Four hours, I could almost get two to three days of work if it's four hours of yeah. just yeah. fire. And so just that lens can shift everything. Yeah, I had, a, I had a client recently who was, I could tell he was wanting to do multiple projects. He was getting spread thin. He was also experiencing some anxiety and kind of, you know, would freak out. And I, I said, hey, man, I'm going to suggest something. You can take it or you can leave it but let's limit you to three hours of work a day for the next week. Mm. And he'd also voices concern that he wasn't getting out in nature as much as he had preferred. So he did, he cut back to three hours and all of a sudden everything felt like one week later, I get a message saying, dude, everything's falling into place. I've been outside. I was doing a bunch of shit I didn't need to do because we accumulate all these important tasks that are, or chores, things that are repeatable. And we just keep doing them because that's what we did before. And I think we could more frequently run what we're doing through the lens of, is this high leverage or is this just busy work? Mm. What is, can you share more on the leverage piece? What does that mean to you? Has that filter into the decisions, the other stuff that you're doing now? Yeah, I mean, leverage is low leverage activities would be trading uh, dollars, hours for dollars. Like know? a trainer. Like, yeah. I work this, yeah. I get this much, that's what I'm worth. Yeah, they, they put out a certain amount of effort and get a certain amount of reward back. Okay. High leverage is how do I put the least amount of effort in and get the maximum amount of output? So if you want to just think about it from a financial perspective, how do I invest the least amount of time, energy, and money in to get the most money out. We could also look at it as impact. How do I spend the least amount of time, energy, and money to reach the most amount of people? Mm. These are the types of ways of thinking. And that question by itself, I don't find is as helpful, but like it is helpful, but you got to get really practical with it. I like to look at Elon Musk, Mm. right? And so I was on a, I was holding a webinar the other night and I was using him as an example of someone who is probably the most high leverage person on the planet right now. Mm. Someone's like, yeah, but you know, he works like 16 hour days and he's working like 
double, triple the time that I'm working. I'm like, is he making double or triple the money you're making? He's not working a billion times harder than you. Fucking promise. Wow. But he's making a billion times more than what you're making. (laughs) (laughs) More realistically, like, yeah, he's in the the tens of millions or, or hundreds of millions times more than what you're doing. Uh, impact, money, all of it. So I, I don't want to use him as an example of like, oh, well, fuck, you know, like now I feel like a <laughs> feel piece of shit. shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just to expand the awareness of, oh, this dude has done a really good job delegating. He's created a, a, a vision of the future that he is excited about and tends to line up with what other people want to. And he's able, he's, he's charismatic in his own way and he's able to get people in. But, you know, one hour of work for him is worth, you know, potentially billions of dollars. One hour of work for me, you know, thousands of dollars. That's, there's a, some, <laughs> something is off, you know? Yeah. So one of the things that I did in the last year is I got into real estate investing. And so I started investing in, basically, I became the bank. So... I sell somebody a house and we create a note the same way a bank would create a note for a mortgage and they're going to make payments to me for 30 years. Hmm. Right. And so I might make a few thousand dollars or something like that when I make the deal initially, but you know, the average deal size might be like $400 a month profit for the next 30 years Hmm. from putting in some effort right now. The amount of effort I put into that, it's about five hours a week. And so I'm now, I'm now practically, I go, oh, it's possible to work five hours a week and build a portfolio that is worth tens of millions of dollars. Over the, and, and not only that, I'm going to receive it over the next 30 years. It's not about making money now. It's when I do a deal, I go, oh, I just made money for the next 30 years. I'm 41. I just made, I made money for me for the next, till I'm 71 wow. when I do this deal. It has expanded my view over time of what is, what's high leverage. So there's, how much, I put as much, I put in the time, energy, and money, and I get money, larger amount of money back, but I'm really getting it back over time as well. And so when you start thinking in 30 year increments, it's hard to do that practice. I know that when I don't, I had you do the 10 year vision at one point. Yeah, yeah. That's challenging. Yeah, Just it's challenging. Thinking yeah. about something in 10 years, as, as cool as mental exercises are, it's just not the same thing as getting into something where it's like, oh, I'm doing a 30 year deal here. Then the consciousness expands into that and goes, okay, now everything, now everything that I do, I, I look at it and go, if I'm putting my effort over here or over here, is this worth this? So now the things that I'm passionate about doing, because I, I wouldn't necessarily say I'm passionate about real estate, but when I look at people who are wealthy, one thing they all have in common is they all own real estate. Hmm. They've all invested in real estate, no matter, you know, if they're a Hollywood producer or if they're, you know, uh, a doctor somewhere, the people who are really wealthy, they got into real estate. They might be doing other things for investing as well. And they probably should be, but they all do real estate for a reason. And so I was like, okay, I can just put a little bit of effort into this here and there. And uh, in that, I started looking, assessing what I'm doing in business, my creative work, because the real estate stuff's not, you know, it's not going to scratch that itch for me. Right. So as I look at my creative work, I go, what's the 
What's the least? And, and when I think about effort, I think about also, I could work eight hours in a day on a project that I'm just so passionate about. The effort's actually really low. Right. The yep. time investment's high, but the effort, dude, it just, I it just, actually fills you up. It's sometimes. silky smooth. Yeah. You just move through, you finish, you're like, fuck, let's go work out. <laughs> you know? I also think about there's what you get paid for, and then there's the work you do. Hmm. And these don't have to be the same thing. Hmm. You can get paid with minimal effort on something like, like that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't work 40 hours a week to get paid. That would be crazy. Right. But can you set up a life where you have your work, which is like, that's the impact you're making in the world. So they don't have to be connected. They are for me. I put work in, I get money out of the, every business that I have. Um, some is more high leverage than others. Some I'm more passionate about than others. But I mentioned the real estate because it allowed me to really analyze my behavior today with my businesses that take more creativity and I'm looking through a 30-year lens and then all these things that I thought I needed to do in the business start becoming really silly. Mm. I go, well, that's stupid. Not doing that anymore. The perspective of I need to make money in the next month fades away into the background and start making better decisions. Now, someone who's not started their own business yet, this could all sound very crazy, but if you do get into your own business and you start listen to what I'm saying because as you get into it, you can come back to what I'm saying and go, oh, that's what he meant. Okay. And, and it will further solidify it. You already shared a bit on it. Can you share a little bit more of how do you maybe like reconcile your passions? Like, I know you, so you love a lot of stuff. Like you yeah. love, you're very, you're interested in so many things, which is beautiful and myself included. And sometimes like having such a wide aperture of so many interests, especially as it relates to, okay, which one of these passions am I going to choose to actually turn into some aspect of a business? What, you know, you shared some stuff on leverage, especially, but like, is there, you know, any insights you can provide and someone who's interested in a bunch of stuff in terms of how to choose what and when maybe to take action on one of those passions or what to decide to choose first? I'd say if you're younger than 30, yeah, do whatever you want. Okay, cool. Like, yeah. And, and that's, that's like the opposite of what you're told in school, which is you got to yep. figure out what the fuck you're doing. You're going to fuck it up. Your whole life's going to be ruined. Yeah. Like, like choose a good degree. Yeah. <laughs> and then follow that into a profession where you're going to retire. It's like, no, uh, you have no, when you're 18, you have no idea what you want to do. I didn't know what I wanted to do until I was, I don't know, 30. <laughs> but, and even then, you know, I kept progressing and, and getting more interested. But like, if you're under 30, like try something out and see if you like it. The only way you can find out is to try it out. Mm. You saw that video that went viral recently, the fuck around and find out. No, I haven't seen. Yeah. It's like, the more you fuck around, the more you find out. <laughs> you got this whole graph, <laughs> this X, Y axis thing going on. It's true. You got you to gotta fuck around to find out. I thought I wanted, when I was- <laughs> Fuck around to find out. When I was 18, I thought I wanted to be a Navy SEAL. Hmm. That didn't happen. Uh, I tried. It didn't happen. Thank God <laughs> it didn't happen because I ended up discovering that that lifestyle is just not for me, hmm. right? Being told what to do, being on someone else's schedule, not a lot of room for creativity, right? And- I thought I wanted to be a gym owner. I opened up a gym and I was like, I want to do this shit forever. But someone was like, you need to set up an exit strategy. I was like, well, four, I'm never selling this. <laughs> it seems so silly. But when, when you're young, you also 
tend to have a, a more limited perspective. So mm. just go get it all out of your system. Go out there and, and you, dude, some people get lucky. It's like the first or second thing they do. It's just the thing. Mm. Good for you. I'm not going to knock it. But if you try something and then you do well with it, then you could just, you know, do it again on another project. And each, le- each business and each passion, I'm on my eighth or ninth business right now, ninth or tenth, something like that. Um, each one informs the next one. Like when I, when I launched the Strong Coach four and a half years ago, it was so easy to launch. So easy to put together because I had already built multiple businesses that were coaching related. So I look at every single project that I do as practice. I'm practicing. Mm. And every time I come to a project, I go, oh, this is what I've been practicing for. And then as soon as I get into it, I go, this is great practice. I have goals, but really I work to put the majority of my attention into enjoying the process of whatever I'm doing. And if I'm not enjoying the process of what I'm doing, the leverage probably won't be there either mm. because it's, uh, it's li- I have a limited amount of energy that I can devote to something I don't love. Yeah. Yeah. And it can feel forced and it just, yeah, requires more. You've got, what I've learned about myself is I believe very much in self-discipline, whether I know it or not, or like when I was younger, it's just always been something. Consistency and discipline. And that being said, there's certain tasks and, and things that require a lot more discipline. Like I got to pull fucking deep to pull that out. And what I realize is while I do believe, you know, discipline in and of itself is a great thing to build character, learning to trust yourself and also I think it I think others tend to trust people more if they can see that consistency as well. They know, okay, like this person's dependable, has integrity, et cetera. But man, if it's constantly a battle and it's constantly forced, it's gonna take so much more out of the gas tank. And, you know, going back to what we said earlier, it's like, and I love that that viewpoint of viewing things like practice, you know, uh, we're gonna make mistakes, we're gonna learn, we're gonna grow. But if we can keep coming back to deriving some degree of passion or connecting it to the dream, the likelihood and the amount of effort it takes to do these things is going to go down significantly. This conversation with Mike had me recalling back to an article that I read a few years ago. And I'm almost positive it was in Forbes magazine. Please don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty positive it was in Forbes. The article was discussing a study that was looking at the most successful leaders in the world. What was the essential quality that these leaders possessed? And after I found out what that quality was, it makes total sense, but it wasn't the first thing that I would have thought of. And what the article had discussed was the single greatest quality was self-awareness. Now, when we look at leadership, the article was discussing in the business sense, but if you think about it, we are leaders of ourselves each and every single morning from the moment that we open our eyes. We are leaders of our family, potentially our intimate partners, and we're leaders in the business sense. And so this quality of self-awareness filters into every aspect of leadership. And really what I'm seeing in the men today, men are seeking to be better leaders. And again, leaders for themselves, their intimate partners, their families, and their businesses. But oftentimes there isn't containers where they can come together and practice this leadership and get real-time feedback. And so at the Men of Movement Retreat, the next one happening in Mount Shasta, California, June 8th through the 11th, if you're a man looking to cultivate greater depth, greater levels of brotherhood, greater levels of meaning, and this quality of masculine leadership in your life, 
then this is the perfect opportunity. This is exactly what we do. And self-awareness is such a pillar of the entire retreat that it almost goes without saying. And so we have a great time there, enjoying great food, great experiences, all from an experiential, visceral perspective. We come together as one, and it happens in Mount Shasta, California. If you would like to attend... All you got to do is click the link in the show notes to hop on a call with me and fill out an application. Now let's get back to the show. And one of the things I know about you, like you're constantly practicing, you're constantly reinventing or doing new stuff. Yeah. And I know you've been running the Strong Coach the last few years and you shared with me right before. Uh, so I, it, I would love to go into it. You're in a transition point right now of right. taking something that you've got a huge passion for. And so I'd love for you to share a little bit about the transition from the strong coach to what you're doing now and what's that, what's that meaning to you? Yeah. Mm, where do I start? <laughs> yeah. So the strong coach started four and a half years ago, really saw an opportunity, saw a need in the market. Uh, I was witnessing coaches having a hard time working with and keeping clients. So I created the strong coach to help health and fitness coaches develop that. And like, I'm done actively building that. Mm -hmm. Now I have curriculum. What I did was I took all the curriculum that I've developed over the last four and a half years. I packaged it up, put a little bow on it. (laughs) People can buy it at strongcoach.com. You can buy it at, you know, it costs less than what the coaching costs because before we were selling coaching, I'm not selling, like if someone wants some coaching, they can get it from uh, my my assistant coach, Jared. But I, I feel like I did everything I could in that industry, mm. right? For helping health and fitness coaches build their businesses. Like the, the people who wanted to work with me, if they didn't hire us, that's, it's over. It's, that's too bad. You should have, should have got in, right? <laughs> it's not my fault. <laughs> Slackers. <laughs> but I packaged it all up. They're sitting on a website. People can buy it anytime they want. I'm done with it though. So I gave it every, like the best I can do is there. Mm-hmm. And so, I like to be in motion. I like to be creating new things. That's what makes me feel alive. And um, yeah, since we're pivoting now, uh, I'd say we're pivoting, but just uh, starting a new project uh, alongside my fiance, who is a uh, psychedelic psychotherapist and has uh, an affinity for mushrooms, as do I. And so uh, we're launching howtoeatmushrooms.com. So Mm. by the time this show comes up, out. It'll be up. The site will be running. And my initial motivation, I bought the website man, about four years ago, about the same time I started Strong Coach, actually. I bought the website because I go, there needs to be a resource, a trusted resource to teach people how to eat mushrooms because I'm hearing way too many stories of people doing it poorly. Mm. And what I love about mushrooms is they're very easy to do wrong, but they're very easy to also do right. Like if you just follow a simple guide, you can have an incredible experience. Um, and there's been countless people who I have guided, not necessarily because I gave them mushrooms in person, but they were just asking me questions about how do I do this? I've been able to, you know, they get their own mushrooms. I can tell them, okay, this is how you set an intention. I give them a little bit of clarity. This is how you want to set up the room. This is how you want to make sure your day looks like. This is, here's some playlists. These are, you know, here's, here's a month of, of prep journaling for this. You know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. 
And people get incredible results. I'm not even in the room for them with them when they're when they do their thing, right? Because the thing is, is is becoming very popular, and people are going to do it no matter what. Right. People are curious, and the people who are going to do it no matter what, let's give them some guidance. I mean, ideal world is they fly down to Oaxaca and <laughs> and do it with a a healer there, uh, but. Most people aren't going to do that. Most people are going to, you know, do it in their apartment. And um, so give them the tools they need to make the most of it. And then there's also another bunch of people out there uh, that are curious. They want to do it, but they don't feel safe enough to do it because they don't have the right information. Yeah. And they may have a massive benefit from that. So uh, that guide will... That, that site is set up to help give them some uh, guidance. Now, there's a ton. You can find all sorts of information about psychedelic That's medicine That's exactly online. what was coming up. Yeah. There's a ton out there. And that's the problem is like, I had to do most of my research initially when I started looking into mushrooms in 2012, 2013, when I first got into it. And, you know, I was sifting through forums and research articles and, I look back on a lot of information and it was bad. There's a lot of people giving bad advice on forums. The same thing happens in fitness, right? Yeah. Like why do, why did you and I decide we need to like make some YouTube videos? Probably because we looked around and said, these other fit, some of these fitness influencers fucked up. Yeah. Like they're not good. Like don't do what they say. Same thing happens with the psychedelic stuff is there's, there's a, I think there's a way of having both reverence and levity. And I think that a lot of the advice you're going to find online too is not complete. So it's like, oh, I got to read a blog here and then watch a video over here. And it's, 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 all, it's all spread out. And there's even some companies that have dedicated themselves to psychedelic you know, websites. But even on their, on their websites, you can get lost. So the intention is make it very clear and simple and give people very few options. You know, just do it, try it like this. But also if somebody wants to hire a therapist, a coach, uh, have a higher level of interaction. That's also possible through the site. So there's going to be services that are available. So it's not going to simply be information. It's going to be like, based on the level of engagement you want to have with us, we'll engage with you and make sure that you have the best possible experience. And that's one of probably the most, at least what I see is probably the biggest thing lacking or the biggest gap for people is the support afterwards or even the support, you know, before it's like, if you don't know and get support on actually how to make this actionable in your life or shit's going to come, like oftentimes when I've done medicine, I mean, it could be a really powerful experience, but stuff doesn't start shifting a lot of times till three, four weeks later. Totally. The world falls apart or business or relationships. And it's like so many paradigms get just shattered and crushed. And also too, if we fall back into our same environment, with the same people or the same work, a lot of the same self-sabotage patterns, limiting beliefs, uh, triggers. Yeah. It can be really hard. So that support piece is huge. So, so I, I've, had, I've been hanging on to this domain for four years. And one of the reasons, uh, the, like the main reason that spurred me to do it now hmm. is <sighs> I, I live in Austin. There's a lot of psychedelic facilitators here, right? So Austin's become like the, the mecca of a lot of things, right? It's a, a mecca of podcasting, mecca of jujitsu, the, the mecca, anything Joe Rogan does basically. But uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's become the mecca of, of uh, like 
but yoga is everywhere here now. And it's partly because of COVID and this was a, a free open state for people to be able to, you know, actually hang out with each other. And uh, yeah, there's just been a big influx of Californians here too. So it's like, we get all the psychedelic Californians in with the already psychedelic Austinites. So there's people that are, that are, you know, I've gone to presentations and people are sharing integration and, and their stuff is good. It's not bad, mm-hmm. but it's not complete. Mm. And I find myself leaving somebody's pitch very aggravated. And um, I, one thing I've learned about myself is, uh, is uh, I, I go through, it's, it's this really comical thing that I do, which is like, I get really pissed off about, you know, how other people are doing something, even if it's pretty good. Like they're just not doing it fucking right. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> and then I go, and, and that cycle, the cycle's gotten a lot shorter because, you know, become wiser. <laughs> but it's like, I used to like fume for weeks, like these motherfuckers, like just fuming. And then it just slaps me right in the face and says, uh, the universe goes, Hey dude, you're pissed about it because you're supposed to do it. No one's going to do it the way you think it should be done because mm. you're not doing it. It's like, you're the asshole. I'm like, ah, so pissed at everybody. <laughs> <laughs> so, so this is, this is, this is what happened. I, I, I walked out of a room and like a day later, I was like, you know, I, you know, you, you got, you're like a little, a little pissed off. And I was like, it's, and this is just do it. And so, um, the way that I view, so prep and integration, especially integration is I see people, uh, most people who do integration work are very narrow in their approach. Like, I, I mean, I don't know how many, I've been to many different types of medicine ceremonies. Um, I've walked out of like uh, ayahuasca ceremonies where they had a, a staff and somebody was the psycho therapist type person on staff and then they hand you a journal and something to read and that's your integration is to fucking journal and meditate. Mm. I go, what the fuck? This doesn't work. I mean, it will work to a degree, but it's only, you're only looking at one component. And so the, the beauty of psychedelics is they are, psychedelics are a destroyer. They're destroyers of some people. They're also amplifiers, but what they do is they, they amplify everything to a degree where you can choose to destroy a mental model or a mental structure that you previously had or an emotional structure or psycho-emotional where your, your cognition is tied to an emotion in an unhealthy way. And psychedelics give you the opportunity to say, no, fuck that. I need to change this. And psychedelics are really good because everything does start in the mind. Mm. And so it starts to shift the mind. And so what I see as a problem with the psychedelic integration right now is there's a lot of mind practices, hmm. which is good. Journaling is good. Meditation is good, but I'm not seeing any physical practices. I'm not seeing any relational practices and I'm not seeing any environmental practices being put in place hmm. for integration. Right. And so I've been studying Ken Wilber for a decade as well. Are you familiar with yeah, yeah, Ken yeah. Wilber's a little bit, work? Yeah. So, he created this thing called the A-call map. It's a four-quadrant map that uh, when, we, when we look at this map, it encompasses everything that exists in the universe, right? In the upper left-hand quadrant, or in the upper half of the quadrant is all about the self. 
The lower half of the quadrant is all about uh, the we, the collective. The left-hand side of the quadrant is the internal, and the right side is the external. So in the upper left-hand quadrant, hopefully people can think uh, <laughs> and visually as Draw I Draw it down as, as he's talking. Yeah. So in the upper left-hand quadrant, you have the internal self, psycho-emotional self, all this stuff. Okay. In the right side of that quadrant, you have the physical body. It's like physiology, biomechanics, all that shit. Um, in the lower left hand, it's relationships, culture, language, how you're communicating. Um, in the lower right hand quadrant is the environment and tools. So what do you, what are, what's in your physical environment? Are you exposing yourself to nature? Are you, uh, what's your relationship to your phone? Um, they, these are all things to consider. And uh, they, they all impact each other, right? So if you are, what I would call low resourced and physically, then it's going gonna, it's gonna to affect your resources mentally, right? Mm. Your psycho-emotional state is going to be impacted uh, by your physical state and vice versa. And your relationships are going to impact your physical state, your psycho-emotional state. Um, and what's happening environmentally is going to impact all those things as well. Like you start seeing how they're all connected. And yet most practitioners have narrowly focused themselves into just one of these quadrants. Mm. Someone's become an expert at the psycho-emotional aspects, but have terrible physical habits. And so when I look at these four quadrants, they're really, uh, we have structures in every single one of these quadrants. It's very easy to see in like the environment, right? Um, but there are structures. The structures that exist in each one of those quadrants for someone in their life right now mm -hmm. is why their life is exactly the way it is right now. The reason you and I are sitting in this room is because of the structures of each one of those quadrants have mm. led us here, right? It's not just one thing. It's everything, right? And because what Ken was trying to do is how do, we, how do we look at everything? And we need to, uh, I love the, the frame of isolate, integrate, improvise. Mm. Right. And so we have to isolate it first, then we integrate it, then we get to improvise, which is, you know, that's where the dance floor comes in. Right. This <laughs> all the, it adaptation all, comes in. Yeah. yeah. It all leads back to the dance floor. Right. Yeah. And so you want to be able to improvise with everything. Like when we see somebody who's an artist and really great, they didn't just like wake up and start painting. They had to learn how to paint first. It was very structured. Right. So we have structures in each one of these quadrants that are making right now happen. It's led to this. So when I am integrating from a psychedelic experience, I had a, five grams of mushrooms. I came back and, oh my God, my life has changed. And then you go back to the relationships. You go back to the people and they start to treat you and speak to you as the person you were before the mushroom experience. Right. And that's relational structures that are just pulling you back into this, the muck, right? Uh, your physical environment, you go back to your apartment and you don't change the furniture around. Maybe, maybe you go, wow, I want to make a change. I want to have more, I want to experience more connection with others. And yet when I walk into your living room, it's situated to optimize for, for television viewing. And I mean, dude, it's so crazy to walk into a bar or just walk into somebody's house and the entire fucking living room setup is, is optimized for watching television. And then they invite a bunch of people over 
and no one interacts with each other. And then it's like, oh, I'm around people all the time, but I feel so lonely. It's like, well, no shit. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Um, and people come to my house, you were there yesterday, you know, and it's optimized for community. Right. Right. It's optimized. Like you can create multiple circles in our house. There's no television downstairs. There's like little pods everywhere from two areas to dine and then low cushions around uh, the border of a wall to plants everywhere. It's, it's beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. The intention was to create a sanctuary, mm. right? I want a place to go because the world can be so crazy. I want a place that I can go where I feel, <sighs> mm. I walk inside the house. I'm like, oh, I'm fucking home. It's peace. Yeah. And so if you really want to take integration seriously, and, and, and sometimes people go, don't make any big decisions. Like don't move or whatever right afterwards. I'm like, maybe, maybe that's something that I, you know, discuss with somebody who knows what the fuck they're doing. But uh, it's okay to, you know, get a little more nature in. Uh, maybe you don't check your phone for the two, first two hours of the day. Mm. I don't. Except for today, because I'd be here early. But <laughs> thank God I did. <laughs> but uh, uh, there's, in physical practices too, people have a psychedelic experience. And then in the extent of the advice that I hear that I, I want to like, and I love yoga, by the way. Uh, I want to hit people with a baseball bat with. <laughs> a lot of times they're like, if you want to, you know, take your body seriously after a psychedelic Experience, you know, eat vegan and do yoga. I'm like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> First off, most yoga, yoga and CrossFit have way too much in common. <laughs> you can get fucked up doing yoga, right? And if you don't understand the biomechanics of those poses and, mm. and what it's supposed to feel like, then it's not going to be that helpful. Yeah, vegan's not helpful either because if you're not eating, you know, enough omega 3s, you can't build the nervous system, which you just tried to rewire. And the only vegan form of omega-3 is that your body doesn't have to go through uh, a tremendous amount of enzymatic processes to try and break down, which only about 5% of plant omega-3 DHA will convert into your physical being, uh, is algae. Algae is the only one that does really well. Mm. Um, but aside from that, meat, meat does well. And so I get a little frustrated when... People are, and here's the thing is for some people, the vegan thing might be the right thing for them, right? I'm not going to like knock that, but, well, maybe a little bit, but, uh, you know, you got to do what's right for you. But I, I've witnessed people just like, oh, I'm going to go like vegan and do this. I'm like, is that really going to support you physically? Um, yoga, are you, are you actually moving well when you're, or are you just, you mm -hmm. know, jumping from pose to pose? You know, is there an instructor there that's actually helping you. You know, that's the same as CrossFit. If I give you a bunch of workouts and don't say shit to you during the workout, you're going to get hurt, right? You don't know what you're doing. Same thing in yoga. It's like, is the instructor actually helping you get to where you need to go? So for instance, I, I bring all this up because it's important. The, the physical aspect is super important because um, I'll deviate from mushrooms for a second. I'll talk about ayahuasca. Ayahuasca, and the same thing can happen with mushrooms. I've just had this experience with ayahuasca more where there is a physical clearing out of some emotional trauma, mm -hmm. right? I remember the first time I ever drank ayahuasca. Part of it is the medicine, but also it was the first time I ever had a facilitated psychedelic experience. Mm. Before that, it was all on my own. You know, <laughs> I was like, 
experimenting with mushrooms in my house. Uh, and so I had some emotional trauma. It was, I was blown away because in the moment I, I realized that this tightness I was feeling in my belly, which I didn't really, I wasn't even aware of before, came up, I purged it out. And the next day, my hamstrings and hips completely loosened up. I was, mm. able, to, I was able to get in positions I never had. I didn't stretch during the ceremony. It, there was emotional trauma stored in the fascia and it, and it got moved. Now, if you don't have a good physical practice after that, and you're going to go into old movement patterns, your body is going to collapse and it's going to become more susceptible to falling to old emotional patterns and psycho-emotional patterns based on your physical body. So when someone says, just go do some yoga, I'm like, no, like we need to look at what what was moved? And I'm a big fan of, I think you are too, of, of check and the check system is like, mm. just fucking crawl. You know, are we doing any crawling? Are you doing it well? Are you moving right? Oh, we, you just unlocked your hips for the first time in your life. Like how, what can we do? What, what muscles have atrophied and need work so that we can support this new structure in your body that's going to support you psycho-emotionally. It's going to support you relationally. Um, how does that work? And so. Uh, yeah, I just, I like to look at the whole system. That's, that's what's interesting to me. Yeah. And, and a lot of what you said, I think is, is super true. And I've seen that a lot. Whereas, you know, a lot of medicine experiences and, and, you know, there's so many different wisdom traditions out there, but a lot of the medicine is done on a, on a map, like you're by yourself yeah. and, and there's a time and a place for that for sure. But what I really have seen over the years is it's basically medicine is done on the map. And then that's, that's it where it's like the real work is when you leave. And how are you breathing? How are you carrying yourself? How do you feel you know, about yourself when you're having a conversation with someone else? And so the ability to get into the body, I found to be super helpful. And, and for me too, and I first started learning this from, from Czech, physical movement is not just physical movement. It is moving energy and is moving spirit. It's moving all these other things. And so oftentimes, whether we know it or not, like I love the example of crawling. Biomechanically, like it's great for the shoulders, for example, You'll, you'll engage your core, et cetera. But it's getting you in contact with the ground. Yeah. You are touching the ground. And oftentimes when I've been most challenged in medicine, and I know you've done something similar, it's like, what do I do? I get on my fucking knees, place my hands down and place my head on the floor. And I ask for help or ask for support. And part of that is to connect closer with the earth, place my head to the earth, place my heart closer to the earth, place my hands on the earth. And so just by crawling or maybe crawling at the beach or crawling in sand, yeah, you're getting a phenomenal workout. But if we look deeper into what are those patterns doing and how is it getting us connected? Or if, for example, you know, the themes of like, if we were to do an Eldoa, a posture for like the middle back region, yeah, it could be opening up T8, T9 or creating space. But what's on the other side of that or that whole region is the heart. Yeah. And so it's like oftentimes whether we realize it or not, and when we add that introspective nature to how am I feeling when I do this exercise, when I push, like the pushing is how we say no, how we hold up our boundaries. So if you're doing a pushing pattern like push-ups, you're reinforcing your boundaries of no. When you're pulling, you're receiving. And so we can also say yes. When I, when I hug you, I pull you into me. We pull yeah. each other into each other. And so when we can think of like a lot of times, some of the, the biggest ahas that I've had is like, how is what I'm already doing and love in the fitness and the movement space also supporting everything else? And it adds so much more meaning to me. Like, oh shit, crawling isn't just crawling anymore. And now everything has like, 
everything matters, you know, or everything matters at a deeper level in that when you look at it in that way. Yeah. Yeah. I was just visualizing some dude that optimizes his workouts for, for bench press and has a poor relationship to boundaries. Mm. Like maybe has like walls way the fuck up. Yeah. Because like there's, there's boundaries and then there's walls. Yeah. There's like the healthy boundaries and the unhealthy boundaries. It's like the physical act itself could be enforcing if you haven't done that internal work of just like keeping that wall up. So, I mean, I don't want to offend too many bench pressers out there, but just give them a hug. Just give <laughs> come, 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 come in come. here, buddy. Come in. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Awesome, man. Well, dude, it's so cool to see everything that you've been doing and then known you for this long and to see, uh, you know, this next program that you're going to be creating. Uh, is there anything else about the program itself that comes up that you want to share in terms of the gaps it fills or what you're most excited about with it? Um, yeah, I mean, when you get to the site, the the intention for that is, uh, you know, we'll have a glossary of terms. You know, what the hell does intention even mean? What does mm. prep mean? What does what does set and setting actually mean? How do you do set and setting right? Um, we may stay away from dosaging, dosages, okay, just because for legal purposes. Mm-hmm. So we we have a lawyer that's letting us know what we should and should not be doing. And uh, yeah, there'll be an uh, opportunity there to, to look into some programs that we have going on. We, the goal is to make it accessible. Okay. So uh, that doesn't mean that everyone's going to have accessibility to every degree, but you know, because the, the, the thing does need to be profitable. Um, one of the things we are going to do is what we talked about, you know, we're going to play with the numbers, but what we talked about the other day was for every three people who purchase a certain level of service, we're going to be able to scholarship somebody in need Dope. that has that, mm. that, that of the same level of service. So if you buy the, you come in and do like the full on service, then we're going to be able to give that full on cert. You know, if three people do that, we're going to be able to give that full on service to maybe a military veteran who doesn't have the money or somebody who just did time and because those are the two groups that that we feel we can help out a lot is people who just did uh they were just an inmate somewhere and uh and uh military veterans reintegrating back reintegrate yeah it's about reintegrating back and and most people both groups of those people i mean me being a military veteran myself is what i recognize is the structures in your life before you went in the military and the structures in your life before you went to jail, probably shitty. Mm. And you may have gained more of something in that time, uh, some more than others, but it didn't prepare you. It didn't prepare you for what you're coming back to. And I think that there's just a huge opportunity to help them recreate structures that are going to support a really healthy lifestyle. And the, the goal of howtoeatmushrooms.com is impact 100 million lives mm. directly and indirectly. I know that my own personal experience, mushrooms have, using them as a tool has allowed me to improve my own health, my own mental health, my own life. Like I'm just, nothing would be possible had I not, that, that exists right now. Like I would not be living this life. And I've impacted so many people positively around me, just my family members. You know, if I just want to look at my family members, my relationship to them is so much better than what it was before. You know, just my relationship to women in general, way better, mm. way better. Um, my, my relationship to just everybody has improved. And so 
you know, if we impact someone directly through some type of mushroom, you know, helping them through their, guiding them through a mushroom experience, and they then impact 10 more people, that's great, right? So that that's the goal is we want to, and I think 100 million, if we impact 100 million, then that'll make the world a better place. Dude, I love hearing this, man. I love hearing <laughs> this. Thank you so much, Mike, for coming on, for being a brother, dude. Yeah, I learned some good shit today. So <laughs> I know everyone else did too. So thank you, brother. Appreciate, Appreciate you. It. Yeah, love you. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow the podcast on Apple and leave a review. It means a lot. We all have a path and I'd love to hear how this podcast has inspired you in some way to live yours.